0: My name is Chris Genders. I am the lead student pastor uh, for the church. We have two student pastors: Brandon Lambius, associate student pastor, uh, and myself. And uh, Pastor Brandon is out with uh, high school students. We had a, an event that we did about six, seven years ago called Most Extreme Team Challenge, and uh, they started yesterday around noon. And it's like kind of like a, a survivor type experience. And so they were in here first service. And um, if you happen to see them, maybe they were you know it was groups of teenagers carrying a twelve foot four by four post and bandanas and grass all over their feet and dirt and mud and you know a little smelly and but uh, it it was just been a great event for them and they're finishing up today while we're in here um, they're out back in the meadow having some more fun uh, before the end but um, just uh, love the fact they had that event. So if you happen to see them, if you see Pastor Brandon, thank you for all the work he's been doing with the high school students uh, this past weekend. But, uh, but I get to bring the word to you today. So I want to welcome you. Um, if you're online as well, welcome you guys. Uh, thanks for joining us. Be sure to log in. Uh, let us know who you are and where you are and who you're with. Um, and let us know kind of, we've got a moderator up there that will chat with you, pray with you, uh, whatever you may need. But thanks for joining us online this morning. I have just one question. <clears throat> the whole sermon is just one question what's your thing? What's, what's that thing that, that you kind of, you know, invest a lot of time and energy in? And I'm not talking about something like casual. I'm not talking about something you do occasionally like I do with my yard work, right? Like that's, that is not my thing. I'm not known for my yard work. Um, that is the least thing that I would want to be known for. Um, but we all have something, Right? What is your thing that you, you make sacrifices for, that it costs you time and energy, that you have to make decisions about to do your thing, you have to give up something else? What's your thing that when other people talk about you, they're talking about your thing? Uh, several years ago, I became a runner. I know, I look amazing, right? So it's, <laughs> it's stuck. <clears throat> I blew my knee out a few years ago, so I'm trying to get back into running, but Back in 2009, um, I had an opportunity to go with my sister out to Colorado and uh, climb a 14,000-foot mountain climb, walk-up, hike. Um, But I didn't want to lug 280-plus pounds uh, up the mountain. And so I started this exercise regimen and and working out and and doing all this stuff. I lost 30 pounds before the mountain climb, and it was a, a great experience. And I liked what was happening to my body. And I'm like, okay, I, I need, like, a big challenge. You know, if you've ever studied Enneagram, uh, I'm an achiever, and so i got to have something ahead of me. i got to have a goal to achieve to knock off the list. And, and during all that training for the mountain climb, I, I had run a little bit, but I didn't really like running. It was just something I'm like, okay, they say you run and it's beneficial for you. Uh, when I was in middle school, I ran cross country because the coach was, basketball coach was behind me cracking a whip, right? And he said, if you want to play basketball for me, you got to run cross country in the fall. I hated running. But I saw what was happening, and I needed a goal. I needed a challenge ahead of me. And so I thought, okay, I ran a 5K uh, during my, you know, mountain climb training. What's next? Well, it's a 10K. That's six miles. And, and before I even signed up for one, I went out, and I'm like, well, I just want to see how far I ran. I ran six miles. I'm like, okay, well, I can do that. Check. Like, what's after six miles? 13. That's a half marathon. Oh, that's a big deal. Like, you got to train for that. And so I started studying running. I got a training regimen, and I, I knocked off a half marathon. And I thought, what's next? Well, that's a full marathon. Woo-hoo! 26 miles? Really? For the guy that hates running? Like, how is this actually going to happen? But I, I made a commitment to it, and I started studying running. I didn't know you could even study running. I just thought you'd just go, right? And, but there's a lot to it. And I'm following this training regimen, and and if you've ever run for a marathon, you have a friend that runs the marathons, you know, you probably know, you've heard about these things, right? And so you have runs throughout the week, but then on the weekends, you have a long run, and it gets progressively longer and longer and longer until you're running about 20 to 21 miles a few weeks before you run a marathon. And so the day that I was scheduled to run my 21 mile, you know, it was on the schedule, the day I was supposed to run the 21 mile, for whatever reason... Um, maybe it's just because I'm an awesome dad, I wanted to be at my kid's bus stop to see them go to school that morning. It was a school day. Well, they got on the bus at like 7, 7 7.15 in the morning. And I had to run 21 miles before, and I'm not a fast runner, before they got on the bus. And so I left my house at 3.30 in the morning to go out and run. And Karen's like, I hope you live. Like, (laughs) I, you know, it's been great. It's a great marriage, you know? Uh, but I've got like glow sticks, you know, duct taped to me, and I've got lights, I got reflective gear all over the place, and i went out and ran my 21 miles, and you know, I ended up losing over 60 pounds as a runner, and it was to the point that I mean, it was all I did, and it, was, it got so, you know, my body changed so much that Karen had somebody in the church that hadn't seen me in a while, and they pulled her aside in kind of like very concerned voice, they said, "Is Chris okay?" And she's like. Well, that's debatable, but, you know, (laughs) is he okay? And she's like, yeah, why? So he doesn't have, like, cancer? Because he's lost a lot of weight. And they're like, she's like, oh, no, he's training for a marathon. And she's like, oh, all right, that makes sense, that makes sense. So what's your thing? Maybe it's not running, but maybe it is some form of fitness, right? If you're in here and you're part of uh, Farrell's Extreme Body Shaping, we all know it, okay? I'm just letting you know. Because part of that whole thing is, like, tag yourself in selfies and put it on there. If you're a CrossFit person, we know you as well, right? <laughs> Spartan runners, we really know you, right? Because we see all the mud and the bandanas and the numbers and all that kind of stuff and the fire and climbing obstacles. Like, if that's your thing, like, we know that about you. We also know if you're Cubs fans. Wow. Try that again. Cubs fans? <laughs> Cardinals fans. Okay, so more Cardinals fans come to first service than second service, and more Cubs fans come to. I don't know what that means, but let's add it to our survey. So, as we figure out for the third service, that'll probably be Houston Astros fans that, you know, come to third service. We, we had our uh, um, uh, Faith and Family Night at the Chiefs last night. We had 100 people out there from the church. It was awesome. And we're sitting there, and you know, Chiefs, and the, it's the Cardinals affiliate, so you see a lot of Cardinals gear, and you see a few, you know, people with Cubs, and then Pastor Dan, our children's pastor, walks in, plops down behind me. He's got a Houston Astros fan <laughs> or a hat on, so representing um, Bears, yeah. Yeah. Packers, yeah. <laughs> NASCAR. <Yeah. laughs> You're the lone, like I did that in. I did that in first service, and you could hear crickets chirp. Like, there was no, no one even said a word, you know? NASCAR, we'll have to, we'll, we'll get counseling for you later. So, turn left, turn left again, turn left again. What, not this week? What's this week? What? I don't know what, I don't know what you're talking about. <clears throat> That's your thing, it's not my thing. Maybe your thing is flipping homes, You you work all day in your full-time job, but you come home at night and you bought a house and you're flipping it. Uh, Maybe it's for your own family. Maybe it's for friends. Maybe you're turning over, you know, profit with it. But that's what you become known for. Your family thinks you're a little obsessed with flipping this house. Maybe it's restoring cars. Uh, Ethan uh, cleans horse trailers for a, a lady outside of Peoria on a farm and her husband loves to restore cars and so we were out there last time Ethan's working and I'm talking to the husband and he's working on a 66 Mustang which was like my dream car when I was a teenager right and Jay's like oh 66 Mustang. well he had a, a 1950s Ford as well under the tarp and that was the next project so he goes to work he comes out there and he tinkers around in the garage that's that's his thing Maybe it's a, a home business, you know? Maybe it's uh, Rodan and Fields, you know? To be fair, Mary Kay, right? We've got to balance it out. Sensi, Essential Oils, like we all know you people, right? Because it's your thing. It's what you're passionate about. Maybe it's uh, a TV show, if, uh, you know, The Amazing Race. I remember we had some staff members a couple years ago. They loved The Amazing Race, and it's kind of like what our high school students are doing the last 24 hours. But many of us in this room have a thing, It's what we're known for. It's what we're all about. It's what we make sacrifices for. And as we study, as we continue our study in the book of Colossians, we're going to discover that the Apostle Paul had a thing as well. And it was a pretty big thing. Uh, So if you haven't been with us, uh, just so you know what we're doing, this summer we're doing a study verse by verse through the book of Colossians. Uh, Pastor Jake started it three weeks ago, and if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. I'll get there in just a minute. Uh, but just to give you some context with where you're at, if you haven't been here uh, for the last three weeks, the theme of Colossians, kind of the overarching theme of Colossians, is the supremacy of Christ. Uh, it's talking about uh, just the, uh, the, the, the false teaching that the Colossians uh, you know, were encountering with the Gnostics. And so Paul, at this point, has written about the supremacy of Christ in creation. Uh, he's talked about the supremacy of Christ in the church and in reconciliation of mankind back to God. And and now he moves on, kind of logically, to the ministry that comes out of those truths. You know, if Christ is supreme, what does that mean for us? If Christ is supreme, what does it mean for for our calling, our our duty, our stewardship of this truth? And so we're going to pick up in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 24. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Uh, So it says this, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body. For I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it's been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. And so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, Paul says, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. So we're just going to take this kind of verse by verse. So logically, we start at the first verse. So verse 24, Paul writes this. He says, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body from participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Church history tells us that Paul took uh, three very different and distinct missionary journeys. He traveled the the, uh, known world at that time, uh, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, During that time, he also endured some some pretty significant things, some pretty significant setbacks. Listen to this. He writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I've been put in prison more often than others, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. Let's just pause there and think about that for a minute. Like a whole night floating in the ocean, whole night and a whole day till he was rescued. He says, "I've I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts and on the seas. I faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I've worked hard and long enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold, without enough clothing to keep me warm. And then, besides all of this, he writes. I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. And so he goes through all of that as if, as if that wasn't enough to endure all of that suffering during his missionary journeys. Once those journeys were done, he was imprisoned. Church history tells us he was imprisoned, uh, most likely in Rome, twice. And it was during that first imprisonment that he writes the book of Colossians. I, I share all that just so you understand the weight of what he writes in verse 24. When he says that he is suffering, When he's glad in his suffering. Other translations say that he rejoices in his suffering. I don't know about you guys. I don't tend to rejoice in my suffering. When hard times are coming at me, when when life is difficult, I'm not glad. I don't rejoice in it. I'm not celebrating. I'm not worshiping. I'm struggling through that. So how in the world can Paul write this? Because he knows why he is suffering. When, when Paul writes about suffering, he's talking specifically about suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. He's not talking about suffering because of poor decisions or things that have happened to him, right? He's not, he's not this college student I talked to one time who, uh, she was just talking about, man, I don't know what's going on. God's like, punish me or something. Like, I'm just really struggling, and, and I wish God would show up. And I'm like, whoa, that's kind of heavy. Like, what's going on? Well, I got a speeding ticket the other day. I got to pay that. I'm like, okay, tell me about it. I was doing 75 and a 55. and I don't, I don't think that's God, you know, causing that. And she, but I didn't say that right away. And then she went on and she's like, you know, and I flunked this final exam for school. And well, did you study? Well, kind of, you know, but my friends were in town. And so we kind of hung out a lot and I didn't really study. I don't know that God's really causing you to suffer. Right. And it's not just students like we do as adults. Right. I've, I've encountered people who uh, their car breaks down. And they we're talking about it, and I'm like, Did you ever change the oil? Like, in the 10 years you owned this car, did you ever change the oil? No, you're supposed to do that? Yeah, you know? I don't have any money for retirement. Did you set anything aside? Like, I don't know. How's that work, you know? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about, you know, when, when you're making choices that you're bringing on yourself, right? Um, I hesitate to do this, but I I love Rock Church, I love Chuck Tate, and they can get away with things that I don't think we can get away with here at Great Oaks necessarily, Uh, but they're doing a current summer series, and I love the title of it. Here it is. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not talking about, you know, poor choices because Paul got a speeding ticket, you know, because he didn't change the oil in the car. I'm not talking about suffering because of of illness or because of random things done to him. I'm not talking about a bad day or a persistent cough that won't go away. Paul's talking about suffering because he's been so bold in preaching about Jesus that it's cost him. It's cost him. It's cost him friends. It cost him money. It cost him influence. It tarnished his reputation. He was beaten. He was imprisoned all because he refused to back down from talking about Christ. I'm reminded of the words in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus spoke. He says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it, Jesus says. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Be very glad, Jesus says. Be happy about suffering because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A few years ago, I was introduced to a book called The Insanity of God by uh, Nick Ripkin, and that's a pseudonym. That's not his real name. But he and his wife were missionaries in uh, Mogadishu. Uh, if you're familiar with Mogadishu, it's Black Hawk Down, that movie. So they were there prior to that incident. They were there during that incident and following that incident. And, and it just really struggled. They were there for years, and they loved the people, but they just didn't see a lot of impact. And so they came home from Mogadishu, and they were just kind of really disillusioned in their faith. And they took jobs working on a Christian college and just you know, kind of discipling college students. And they began to meet weekly in their apartment with this group of college students, and it became this really healing place for them, and kind of this symbiotic relationship where they were able to minister to the college students, but the college students were able to minister to them as well, and soon they felt that flame of a mission from God again calling in their life. But it was different than what they had done before. They sensed that God wanted them to travel the world to interview, to meet and interview, and share stories of persecuted Christians. And so they began to travel the world. They went into some some prisons that were just absolutely horrendous places. And they encountered men in those prisons who were worshiping Jesus in the midst of the darkest place they've ever been. And they shared their story. They they, they traveled to this village and uh, this small community and developing country. And they met this guy who was extremely bold about his faith. So much so that the, the local uh, police, the local officials, were, were, had arrested them, had raided their home, had beaten him, and told him to stop talking about Jesus. And he, he refused. He's like, no, this is what God has called me to do. And so they said, if you keep doing this, we're going to kill you. And they just laid it out there. And he said, I got to do it. And so he continued to preach and they arrested him and they wanted to make a public spectacle of him so they took him to the town square and kind of was just like really shoddy electricity, you know, wires going all over the place and they, they stripped some of that down and wired him up and said, you give him one more chance. Deny Jesus or we're flipping the switch. And he said, I can't. And they threw the switch and the electricity went out. It didn't electrocute him. And so they beat him instead Almost to the point of death, and said, Stop preaching. And then the very next day, he was preaching again. Uh, Nick talks about going to China to the underground church, and he's he's encountering these these pastors and their families who have paid incredible sacrifices for their faith. You know, people who have been uh, beaten out of, you know, beaten to bloody pulps, that have been arrested, their kids have been uh, publicly shamed in the schools because of their, their faith. And he was meeting in this underground gathering of, many, of several pastors, and they were sitting around in the room, and there were these two young pastors who were really exuberant, really passionate and excited about their faith. And one of the older pastors kind of pulled Nick aside and said, don't listen to them. They haven't been to prison yet. You know, they don't know what they're talking about until they've been to prison. And it was just unbelievable. That was the benchmark for these guys. This is the type of suffering that Paul Is talking about that he's experiencing. But he goes on. He says, Not only do I rejoice in my suffering, uh, but he's continuing to fulfill his calling despite being in jail. Many of us would think that if we get arrested, like we're stuck. We can't do anything more. Paul's like, That doesn't stop me. He, He was preaching to the people he was chained up to, he was writing letters to other churches. So we read on in Colossians chapter 1, verse 25 God has given me the responsibility of serving the church by proclaiming his entire message to you. Paul was given a very specific responsibility to fulfill in the early church. Uh, this re- responsibility became all-consuming. It became his thing. It's what caused him to travel around the known world to, to suffer such extremes. You see, Paul, on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute Christians, encountered Jesus and as a result became one of the the chief voices for Jesus. In fact, two-thirds in the New Testament that we have today was written by Paul. His life trajectory was changed because he encountered Jesus. He's often referred to by himself and by others as an apostle. Apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, which literally means one who is sent off, or the sent ones. We think of the 12 apostles that Jesus had. They spent time with Jesus, and he sent them off on mission. We think of Paul who encounters Jesus and he's sent off, you know, on mission. And, you know, throughout history, throughout church, uh, we've had different roles that we see in the Bible and in the church. In the Old Testament, we see priests and Levites and prophets. In the New Testament, we see apostles and prophets. Again, we see evangelists, pastors, teachers, elders. All of these roles exist for the express purpose of pointing people towards God, helping them mature in their faith and, and in their knowledge of God. I think of our role as pastors really kind of summarized under three areas. We, we intercede on behalf of the church. We pray for you often. We, we, we come and intercede in your life to point you towards Jesus. We instruct, we, we take the scriptures, and we help you understand how to live a godly life. And we provide leadership to this community of faith called the church. You know, I, I didn't grow up in the church I became a Christian in college, and I was getting a degree in business, which I did, and I I thought, well, I'm just gonna go on and become a a businessman, and I'm sure I'll serve in some capacity, some leadership capacity in the church. I'll be a ministry leader, I'll be an elder when I get older, you know, something like that. Never in my wildest imaginations did I ever think God was gonna call me to ministry. And yet when he did, Karen and I had to be obedient to that calling. The reality, though, is that most of you in this room are not going to be receiving that call to be a pastor, a paid pastor, to be a missionary, to go somewhere, to give up everything, to go to another country and, and serve Jesus there. But just because you're not called to a specific role within the church doesn't mean you're off the hook. I can't leave, let you leave here thinking that just because you don't bear the title of pastor or elder or prophet or evangelist that you're, you're off the hook. Just because you don't have a specific role doesn't mean that you're not part of the mission. We read in 1 Peter 2.9 that you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, Paul writes that we're Christ's ambassadors, that God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We're all called to be ambassadors. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're called to be an ambassador for him. And what does an ambassador do? What's the the role of an ambassador? Ambassadors are are to speak on the behalf of their leader. No ambassador ever speaks their own message. No ambassador ever takes what their leader, their president, their king, whatever, says and goes, yeah, I'm not gonna share that. I'm not gonna say, I got my own message. I'm gonna deliver, right? Ambassadors speak only on behalf of their leader. And if we're all ambassadors for Jesus, then we have to know what this message is that God wants us to deliver. And Paul goes on and he tells us in the next verses, verse 26. This message was kept secret for generations, for centuries and generations past. But now it's been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you, Gentiles, too. One of the biggest struggles. That the Jews had was that for centuries they they were told that they were God's chosen people, that they were had special access to God, and it was true they were. But this was became their thing that they were known for, that they kind of stood out for among other nations. That that we are God's chosen people, and all other nations are not. And in fact, all other nations were referred to as this kind of lump title of Gentiles. So I remember not growing up in the church, I didn't know these words. And I was traveling one time with uh, what I call my kind of spiritual parents, and they were ones, people that helped me, you know, really discover uh, the Bible and Jesus and church and all this kind of stuff, and they were, they were very safe people to ask questions to, right? Like, there were certain people I just didn't, I didn't want to look dumb, you know, I was a college student, new to this whole faith thing, I didn't want to look dumb, and so I didn't know who to ask them these questions to, but we were taking a road trip down to see their son, who was at a Bible college in Kentucky, and so I'm in the back seat, and they're driving, their names were Quincy and Jan, and, and we're driving along, and And I said, hey, I got a question for you. And they're like, okay, what's the question? Am I a Jew or a Gentile? And they're like, what? I said, well, I read the Bible, and I see really only two people groups, Jew and Gentile. I don't think I'm a Jew, but I don't know. Am I? Like, they're God's chosen people. I've followed Jesus. Maybe that makes me a Jew. Or am I a Gentile? I don't even know what that word means. What is that? And so they just went on to explain to me what Gentile was. Gentile comes from the Greek word ethnos, and, and very simplistically means anybody who wasn't a Jew. So it represents, when you read that in the Bible, it represents all other nations other than Jews. And for Gentiles in this day, when the scriptures are written, they could become part of the Jewish nation, but the reality was they would never have the same status as natural-born Jews. But then Jesus comes along. And Jesus has his thing that he becomes known for. He begins to spend time with both the Jew and the Gentile. He begins to spend time in Samaria, a nation that Jews would actually go out of their way to travel around. They didn't want to spend any time in that country. They looked at the Samaritans as half-breeds and lower than dogs. And yet Jesus goes and spends time with them. He begins to spend time with prostitutes and tax collectors and the spiritually and the physically unclean, the the marginalized of society, this became his thing. He begins to cast the net of God's grace wide onto people other than the Jews. And when the church explodes in the book of Acts, we see that the gospel is beginning to spread to the Gentiles, to other nations, and they don't know quite what to do with it, the Jews. The Jews. In fact, in Acts 15, we see what's called the Jerusalem Council take place. Paul and Barnabas have been on this missionary journey. They've encountered Gentiles, non-Jews, who are showing evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And it's kind of rocking their world because this Holy Spirit thing was God's, was the Jews' thing, right? This wasn't supposed to be for other people. So they don't know what to do with it. So they go back to Jerusalem to the the early church fathers and they have this council and they, they pray and they fast and kind of in this landmark decision, they decide that yes, God is moving beyond the Jews, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles as well. The reality is that our gathering here today is a direct result of the Jerusalem council in Acts 15 because they said, yes, the gospel is for all nations, all tribe, all tongue, we sit here today. You see, throughout history, men and women have been given the task of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. They've been given the, the most important message to deliver to mankind. It, it was a message that at that time terrified the Jews, and it inspired the Gentiles. And what is that message? Paul tells us in the next verse. This is the secret. This is the message. Christ lives in you. Uh, this gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Because of Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross, all of mankind, Jew and Gentile, is now given the opportunity to respond to Jesus. We're, we're given the choice, life or death, heaven or hell, God or self. Jesus on the cross is a dividing line in all of eternity. And all for, for all of those who choose Jesus, there's confident expectation of sharing in the future glory. If you don't get what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the last couple messages from Pastor Jake, and you're gonna hear this over and over this transition from darkness to light of a, a great and glorious God, a generous God who gave himself to restore peace with mankind. You'll discover that God has, has been on this mission to reconcile mankind back to him. That's God's thing. Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 1. God's purpose was that the Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he'll give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. Many of us in this room have discovered the life-changing impact of Christ living in us. Marriages have been healed. Kids that have rebelled and run away from their families have come back home to open arms. Addictions have been cast aside. The entire trajectory of people's lives in this church have been forever and eternally altered because of the fact that Christ lives in us. We're changed people. And so because of God's thing, of reconciling mankind back to him, and because of Jesus' thing, bearing the weight of the sin, of all mankind's sin, on his shoulders on the cross, Paul now has his thing that he's compelled to do. And what is that? We read on in verse 28. So we tell others, this is my thing, Paul says, we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work so hard and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. The Apostle Paul was called by God. He was gifted by God. He was sent out by God. And he suffered for God. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill his mission, his Thing. And as we look at these verses, we look at what Paul did. We have to ask ourselves a couple very personal questions. What's my thing? What is my thing? What, what am I known for? What has God given me a passion for? And how does, how does my thing point people towards Jesus? Or, or maybe a better question is how can it point people towards Jesus? If you were here last week uh, for baptisms on Father's Day, um, you, you saw some incredible testimonies. And I love Baptism Sundays. We cheer and go crazy for everybody that gets baptized. And every story is a story of a life eternally changed and transformed because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there was one couple in particular, a husband and wife team, that, that really their, their, their testimony was just so powerful. And, and what I loved about it was that, that it wasn't a pastor of the church that discipled them. It wasn't a pastor of the church who's paid to tell people about Jesus, who told them about Jesus. It wasn't a pastor of the church who said, hey, I'm going to enter into your world, your chaos, and I'm going to help walk you through this. If you know Fred Shrepfer, you know Fred because he stands out. Fred's, man, Fred's awesome. Fred is a former military guy. He's a concrete worker. Um, You know, he is just passionate about evangelism, passionate about Jesus. Maybe you know him better, maybe you don't know him, but maybe you know him better as Fred Bird. Uh, he, he's a guy on the motorcycle popping wheelies, the football games, and down the parade routes, right? So this is a guy that loves Jesus and loves people and is unashamed in sharing his love for Jesus. And he's bold in declaring it. And, and, and you, he weaves Jesus and in Scripture into every conversation that he has. Well, he also loves uh, motocross and motorcycles and To the point that he has like four or five motorcycles at his house, dirt bikes. And he's built a dirt track in his backyard. And he loves students as well. For a long time, he's been working with Youth for Christ, Metamore Youth for Christ. And he's been a part of that ministry, reaching out to students that are just absolutely amazing students. But sometimes they feel a little bit left out. Not sure where they quite belong. And Fred's like, you belong with me. You belong in my house. So he hosts this Tuesday night Bible study called Goat Busters. And he has students over there all the time. And and he lets them get on the motorcycles. I'm I'm sure parents are signing waivers, right? Um, (laughs) He lets students get on the motorcycles. And they're riding motorcycles over these things. And, you know, if you're friends with Fred on Facebook, you saw uh, this when the rain hit a few days ago. You know, this is Fred. He's like, hey, my yard's a river. Let's kayak it, right? So he gets his kayak out and he's like trying to, you know, kayak down the river in his front yard. But he's just a guy that just absolutely goes crazy for Jesus. And, and he encountered um, a student through his Goatbusters Bible study and, and her parents were going through a really rough time. And, and her friends, you know, she didn't quite know what to do, but her friend knew. And he, he was talking to him and he said, you need to meet Fred. I don't really know what you, how to help you. I don't know what you need. I don't know what your answers are. I don't know how to restore your marriage and help you figure out finances and all this stuff. But Fred does. Fred's amazing. And so they introduced him to Fred, and Fred began to disciple them. They didn't have a car, so Fred gave him one of their cars to borrow until they could get another car. Didn't have a job, so they hired the, the husband to work with them on a the concrete company. And he began to disciple them and point them towards Jesus, and they're slowly turning their life back around. And last week they got baptized together. And it was just this incredible, incredible testimony and story. All because of Fred. Because Fred has a thing. And he's like, that thing has to connect with Jesus somehow. But maybe your thing isn't Fred's thing. Fred's thing isn't your thing. Not a lot of us are Fred, right? But we all have a thing. Maybe we've never thought about the fact that that God might want to use our thing, what we're passionate about. What, what he's um, wired us for, how we can use that to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. You know, I, I look around the kind of the landscape of Great Oaks, and I see so many people, men, women, students, children, who, who have discovered their thing and said, you know what, I'm going to do this thing, and it's going to be in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to help people, and I'm going to point them towards Jesus. And so I'm, I'm just gonna name some off and, and I apologize in advance if you don't hear your name because you know, I know there are countless number of people who serve in this church and in this community around the world who, who, who don't get recognized from the stage, who are behind the scenes and we may never even know what you're doing, but you're faithfully serving week in, week out in your area, in your thing that God has given you. And we wanna applaud that and praise you for that. So I just, in advance, I wanna say that because I'm gonna apologize if you don't hear your name. We wouldn't have enough time. But as I sat in my office and I thought through, you know, who are some of the people that, that I connect with, that I've seen, that I've interacted with over the last couple of years, you know, I think of Kevin and Debbie Rao, you know, with Reclaimed Resale, uh, husband and wife who said, you know what, I'll, we'll step up, we'll take leadership of this, this resale business, and we're going to turn all the profits back into the community. And, and, and they would be the first ones to say, it's not us, it's all the countless number of volunteers, right? And it is, it's an army. You guys have an army of volunteers who love Reclaimed Resale. And they've said, this is our thing. And this is what we're going to be about in our community. And and we're going to help people physically, financially, with physical goods and assets. And we're going to give money to charities. And we're going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through Reclaimed Resale. I think of Kristen Springer with Snack Pack. I think of Stephen K. Weiss with the Garden of Giving. I don't know if you guys know, we have a huge garden back here. I, I, I don't know how to garden. I don't want to know how to garden, right? But thank God there's people that do. And we have this huge garden, and I come into the church, you know, every day, almost this, every week, and there's almost always cars back there with people planting and weeding and plowing and watering. I don't know what you do to garden. I kill stuff. I don't grow stuff. But they raise all of this food, and they give it away to local food pantries for fresh produce. I think of uh, Mike Hazelbush with the Dream Center, you know, who's discovered a, a love for mentoring inner-city youth on how to do uh, auto repairs and motorcycle repairs. I think of Austin Lewandowski, who uh, is kind of just a firestorm, if you know Austin. Like once he said yes to Jesus, once he says yes to anything, he is all in. And and it's like, hold on, brother, right? Like he's like, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And we're like, that's a lot of energy. Let's put you with students because that makes sense, right? And so he's working with our high school kids, and he went to Peru with them. He'd never been on a mission trip before. And, you know, I don't think he's ever been out of the country before. And he went with them to to Peru. He's working in our our Highway 45 with the 4th and 5th graders. He's leading a life group during the week for um, kind of that 20 to 30 age range in the church. I I think of Janice Hutchins and Dana Deshawn, Cheryl Schrader, Melanie Neal, people who we are blessed because they take care of our babies. They take care of our preschoolers, right? And And they're just served faithfully back there, and they never get recognition on the stage, and they're not asking for it. None of these people are asking for this. They didn't know I was talking about them today. Fred was in first service. He went beat red when I was talking about Fred. That's the danger of becoming friends with the pastor. You end up in a sermon illustration, right? I, I think of Chelsea Corwin who, uh, you know, bakes for Jesus. Like, oh my gosh, if you don't have Chelsea food yet, you got to have that. But she, she ministers to people through food. Like, that's how she ministers to them. And you're going through a rough time and all of a sudden Chelsea shows up with a meal or with baked good. And, and she's like, God has given me this passion to bake and so I want to use it for his glory. So what's your thing? What has God made you passionate about? And how can your thing point people towards Jesus? Maybe it is fitness. Maybe it's Pharaoh's extreme bodybuilding, right? I mean, maybe it's, it's CrossFit, it's, it's Spartan. Have you ever thought about bringing somebody else along with you who doesn't know Jesus? Inviting them to be part of that fitness or intentionally meeting new people in the gym? And influencing them, not just physically, but also for Jesus. We had a, a group that started a run club here at the church a long time ago. And they would just meet two or three times a week here on the church property and, and run. And then they'd talk about their faith and what's going on in their life. Maybe it's a, a sports team. I'm going to be a, a little sexist here, so I'll just admit that up front. Uh, but guys, you know, a lot of guys love football. Uh, maybe, maybe, have you ever thought about taking your love for Sunday night football and turning it into a men's life group at your home? Invite guys to come over and hang out and watch the football game and then at some point intentionally have time where you talk about the sermon from this past Sunday. And you say, hey, how are you wrestling through, what's your thing? Like how are you using your thing for Jesus? Maybe it's flipping homes or restoring cars, you know, similar to what Mike Hazelbush is doing. We have countless number of students who would love to have that skill set. And they just need somebody who cares about them and who has patience to teach them how to do these things. Have you ever thought about inviting a a kid maybe that doesn't have a dad to come alongside you and 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 work with you to learn how to flip a a house or restore a car and in the process talk about faith and where they're growing and what they're learning about from scripture maybe it's uh, the tv show you know you just pick that whatever random tv show that you're all about that everybody knows you're all about and you host a life group that night Maybe it's your, your home business. You use your business to, to raise awareness about global issues. You know, I have a friend who does Rodan and Fields, and uh, through that business, that home business, she's had the opportunity to go to Sierra Leone to partner with an orphanage there, and she and her husband now sponsor three kids in Sierra Leone. And She's gone over there twice now and had the opportunity to serve that orphanage and meet those three kids, and they Skype with them once a week to encourage them in their lives. Here's, here's the reality. We all have a thing. We we all have a thing that we're passionate about, that God has given us a a desire to do, to spend time with. How can you take that passion and point it towards Jesus? How would God want to use your thing to become his thing? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have made us as passionate people, people who You just have wired us for different things, and I love that mosaic that we see as I look around the church. You know, there's people that are so very different than me, and they have passions and interests that will never stir my heart, and yet you have stirred them. There's people that look at what we do as pastors and think there's no way I could ever do that. Father, you have knit us together as a church in this incredible spiritual body. And you've called, your word tells us that you've called some of us to to be hands and feet, to be noses, to be mouths. Every part is critical. Every part is vital. Every part is needed. Father, help us just to embrace how you've made us, the shape that you've given us. And give us a passion, an overwhelming passion, to take our thing and make it your thing. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So, as we do every week, we've got prayer people on the side. You know, and sometimes it's kind of heavy. Like, man, if you're going through a struggle, go pray with them. And if you are, that's fine. Go do that. We want That's what they're here for. But maybe this morning, you've never thought about how God might want to use your thing to make it his thing. And you need somebody to just go over and pray over you that God, through his Holy Spirit, would reveal to you how to use your thing for God's glory. So we encourage you as we sing this last song to go over and and pray with them. If you're not in a life group, we encourage you to do that because we talk every week about what we talk about on Sunday morning. We dive into it deeper and we we personalize it in our life groups. So sign up for that out at Connection Central. And just like Pastor Jake says every week, if you've been helped this morning, don't let that stop with you. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers grab somebody this week that's not in life group, somebody that, that you've got some influence with and talk about Colossians, talk about what Paul endured and ask, you know, what is your passion and how would God might want to use that passion? So we invite you to stand and sing this last song.